You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. We'll be looking at verses 18 to through 25 in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. Most of you are familiar with me playing piano, I suppose, uh, week to week here, but probably only some of you know uh, the musical instrument that's actually closest to my heart. It's not piano, it's drums. When I was in high school, I ate, slept, everything I did revolved around drums. I lived for drums, uh, particularly marching percussion and especially drum set. Uh, and there's, there's part of me today that still wants to do that. <laughs> and actually, when I, uh, when I graduated from high school and I had friends and family members going off to study journalism and sociology and engineering and business, uh, I also had career aspirations, but it wasn't like the rest of my rest of my friends. When I when I left Hutchinson, Minnesota for Brookings, South Dakota, my career objective was drummer in a rock band. I'm not joking. That was absolutely my parents were so proud. God changed those plans. Uh but uh, I actually had, there was actually kind of a spiritual motivation behind what I wanted to, to do with my life back then. Uh, even as a teenager, I recognized that the world was a broken place. Um, I recognized that the world needed Jesus. But uh, it seemed to me back then the church wasn't doing a very good job of, of reaching the world for Jesus. Uh, it seemed to me that the church needed some help. And the main thing the church needed was drums. Maybe, maybe more broadly, what the church needed was Christian music. Uh, back then I thought if the church was ever going to be united together and effective of reaching the world with the message of Jesus, as far as I was concerned, its only hope going into the 21st century was music, was Christian music. But a couple, couple years Later, uh, I was clobbered over the head with foolishness, wisdom, and power in a text like 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. Let's look at those words. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would speak through your word to our hearts now. Pray that we would be humbled before your word, grateful for the privilege of hearing your word, and eager to be changed by it. Ask that we would be eager to be changed by foolishness, wisdom, and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's a lot packed into eight verses here. But the clear thing the Holy Spirit is, is telling us to do in this text is to ground our lives in the Word of the Cross. To ground our lives in the Word of the Cross. There's at least three reasons why we should do that here. First of all, because the Word of the Cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because the Word of the Cross makes foolish the wisdom of the world. And third, we should ground our lives in the Word of the Cross because the cross is the power of God. So let's consider the first reason why we should ground our lives in the Word of the Cross because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If you look at verses or verse 18 to start, according to verse 18, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's two kinds of people. There's lots of ways you can separate people in society. Lots of just binary ways you could separate people, men and women, old people, young people, uh, introverts, extroverts, glass half empty people, glass half full people. Uh, Back in the uh, ancient Greco-Roman world, when uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, there were ways of dividing people then too. You had Romans and barbarians and Jews and Gentiles and slaves and, and free people. But, but this grouping, this way of dividing up humanity in verse 18, this is, this is the ultimate way to distinguish human beings. You have those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Every single human being is in one of these two groups. And the words used in, in the original language for both of these carry eschatological or end times implications. So the concern here isn't physical death. Uh, if, if, if he was talking about physical death, then this wouldn't be a way to distinguish human beings because uh, all human beings experience death. The concern here is an ultimate eternal perishing and an ultimate eternal salvation. So this binary distinction between two groups of people, this is a consistent theme throughout the whole Bible. It's not just, it's not just introduced here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is first introduced all the way back in Genesis 3 with the fall of human beings. When God said there would be conflict after the fall between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. And the whole Bible is the outworking of this conflict between these two, two groups. Just as another example, if you read uh, further in your Bible and you get to the book of Psalms and you read Psalm 1, what do you have in Psalm 1? You've got the blessed man on the one hand, who delights himself and meditates on 
Uh, the Word of God, day and night, who's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its, free, yields its fruit in season. And on the other hand, you have the wicked man, who it says is like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked people in Psalm 1 and those who are perishing in 1 Corinthians 1. These are the same people. So, so this, this distinction in humanity, this is an ultimate distinction. This is ultimately going to find, even after everything that defines us today passes away, even after there's no more Jew and Gentile, no more young and old, no more slave and free, this distinction will still define every single one of us. And verse 18 gives us particular information about those who are perishing. So although these, although these two groups, uh, they've existed since the fall of humanity, uh, the tools used to divide, or the tool used to distinguish these, tool, uh, these two groups has, has changed. It's, it's actually become more clearly defined. And today that, that line is drawn by the response to the word of the cross, the response to the Lord Jesus Christ. The exact language here is the word of the cross in verse 18. The message of the cross is now the dividing line that distinguishes all people at all times and in all places. And there's only two responses to the cross. We'll look at one response now. We'll look at the other response in a little bit. But first, let's look at the response of those who are, those who are perishing. For those who are perishing, the word of the cross is folly. The, the, the original word is the word that we get our word moron from. Though, so just literally, the word of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing. It's, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. doesn't make sense. What, what's, what's the word of the cross? The, the word of the cross is, is what was accomplished on the cross. Uh, it's, it's the message that, that God took on human flesh in order to atone for human sin on the cross. It's, it's the message that the Son of God went to the cross as an innocent man and gave His life in exchange for our lives. It's, it's the news that the death that took place on the cross wasn't the end of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, but He raised from the dead three days later. The word of the cross is the message that those who turn away from their sins and put their hope in Christ alone, can have forgiveness for their sins, can have salvation and reconciliation with God. Uh, there, there's a sense in which the word of the cross in, envelops all of God's revelation. The, the whole Bible is, in a sense, the, a word, the word of the cross. The cross stands at the, the climax of the Bible. It's the ultimate solution to the ultimate problem. Everything before the cross in the Bible is anticipating the cross. Everything after the cross is, is responding to the cross and trying to explain the cross. So, so those who are perishing, in verse 18, those who are perishing are those who respond to God's revelation, God's word. Those who respond to the message of Christ crucified, uh, the word of God incarnate, with apathy and rejection and ridicule. They see it as folly. They see it as moronic. And if your response to what I just explained about what God has done in Christ is to shrug your shoulders, is to roll your eyes, or if it, if it brings out anger in you, the, the, the Bible has, puts you in a category. And it's a sobering category. It puts you in the category of those who are perishing. 
People have been responding this way to God for a very long time. Look at verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Jews and Greeks, this, or Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles was a, uh, a huge way to distinguish people in the ancient world. It's a huge way of distinguishing people in the New Testament. And, and Paul draws attention to why these two groups of people both rejected the word of the cross. The Jews, of course, uh, were God's Old Testament people. Uh, those who were entrusted with the Old Testament scriptures, those who were given uh, God's promises and covenants. Uh, they were people who were anticipating a Messiah in light of Old Testament prophecy, but, but they were anticipating a different Messiah than Jesus. Uh, they repeatedly demanded a sign from Jesus that he was, he was the Messiah, but the, the witness that he gave wasn't, wasn't enough for them. And, and they certainly did not have a category for a crucified Messiah. The Greeks, on the other hand, citizens of Greece in the Greco-Roman world, these were, these were the recipients of Greek culture and, and Greek philosophy and Greek language. This would have been most of the people who made up the church of Corinth that Paul wrote this letter to. Uh, the, the Greeks, they had a great interest in human wisdom and how human wisdom had, could provide explanations for our existence and reason and for morality. But, but their categories for wisdom were not open to the idea of a divine sacrifice through crucifixion. So in these two groups of people, when they hear the word of the cross, the preaching of Christ crucified, the result is what we see in verse 23. It's a stumbling block to Jews who they're expecting a more impressive Messiah. And it's foolishness to Gentiles who desire something more fulfilling and more interesting than the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Although Paul's talking about Jews and Greeks here, these two categories still exist today. People still find the cross as foolishness today. Uh, the modern or the, the postmodern person sees, the, the, sees Jesus as an ancient story. It's something that people you know, incorporate into their lives to, as, as a kind of crutch to help them deal with life's difficulties. Or it's something that people you know, adopt in, in order to exercise power or influence over other people or uh, it's a bunch of myths that were written down before science and technology and industrialization brought about all that we have in the, in the modern day. People still find it foolishness. People still find it a stumbling block too. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget my, uh, and I've probably mentioned this before, I'd never forget the, my first time I tried to witness to a Muslim friend when I was in college. And uh, he had no problem with all the supernatural claims. He had, he had no problem uh, with an all-powerful, sovereign creator. And he didn't even think that my faith was some sort of subverted attempt to, to get ahead in society. But he had two huge problems. It, it just, and it took up all of our conversation. Two huge problems with Christianity. The first was the Trinity, trying to understand that. The second huge problem he had was the idea of God sacrificing himself for sinful people. He could not get over Christ crucified. It was a stumbling block in his religious system. But the the consequences for rejecting the word of the cross are eternally devastating. If you're here this morning, you find Jesus boring. This is foolishness. If you find Jesus repulsive, maybe he challenges or opposes something in your life that you really treasure. Maybe you find Jesus absurd, the idea of 
Jesus as a divine Savior who alone can atone for sin. Maybe that makes you stumble over your current religious system. If you're in that category this morning, I, I would plead with you to reconsider. This, this text in 1 Corinthians, this is written to Christians, but this has implications for non-Christians. I hope you just recognize that this text in Scripture anticipates your rejection of Jesus. It anticipates your rejection of the word to the cross, and it warns you that you're on the road to spiritual death. It might seem reasonable to reject Jesus. It might seem reasonable to, to dismiss all this, but, but it's not reasonable. You have a creator. And he has demonstrated his love for the world and sending his son as a savior to give his life for people who are guilty before God. I'd ask you, what are you going to do with your guilt? We are all guilty. We have all messed up in, in significant, significant Ways. You have guilt, and what do you think is going to happen to it? You think your guilt is just going to disappear into meaninglessness and nothingness when you die? I'm here, I'm here to tell you this morning, it is, it is not going to disappear into nothingness. God has graciously made provision for you if you'll turn away from your sins and put your hope in Christ crucified. If you put your Hope, ground your life in the word of the cross. And if you do that, I hope you'll come talk to me or at least talk to someone sitting next to you this morning. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So don't perish. Orient your life away from yourself and away from your sin and toward the cross. Ground your life in the word of the cross. The second reason we should ground our lives in the word of the cross is because it makes foolish the wisdom of of the world. It makes foolish the wisdom of the world. If you look at verse 19, uh, the, the world has always loved human wisdom. Uh, this goes all the way back to Genesis 3 as well. What, what happens in Genesis 3? Genesis 3 is a story of two human beings choosing human wisdom over God's wisdom. It's two people choosing their ideas over God's ideas. And ever since, every single human being has come into the world with the idea that their ideas, their wisdom, are much wiser than they really are. So it makes sense that in order to save humanity, there would one day have to be a reckoning with God's wisdom and our wisdom, human wisdom. And we see this in the, the passage that Paul quotes here. In verse 19, he quotes Isaiah 29, 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discerning, discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God, God doesn't operate on our level. He doesn't conform to our desires and expectations. He doesn't conform His wisdom to our wisdom. And you start to see the irony here, right? We're the people who look at the cross, we look at God, and we reject Him as foolishness. But there's a two-way interaction here because what's happening from the other side is our wisdom, our rejection is being exposed as, as foolishness. Look at the next verse, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Human wisdom, human wisdom turns out to be an unreliable instrument for understanding God and understanding ourselves and for governing our lives. With, with these three categories, the wise one, the scribe, the debater of this age, uh, Paul covers 
what would be the entire spectrum of insufficient sources of wisdom. The, the one who is wise, or the wise one, probably refers to uh, one of these people who would have promoted one of these worldviews in the ancient world. Uh, there have been a lot of these people in, in Corinth. Epicureans and Stoics and Sophists and Platonists and, and many others with different worldviews, explanations of human wisdom for, the, for life. N- none of them, none of them reasoned their way to God. None of them reasoned their way to what God has done in Christ. And in modern days, it hasn't gotten any better as, as centuries and centuries have passed. Communism, hedonism, uh, democracy, capitalism, pluralism, none of it has led anyone to the cross. None of it has led anyone back to God. Those who are considered wise in the eyes of the world, they're exposed as foolish before God because they miss of what's of ultimate concern. Uh, the fact that the scribes included here in this, the second question, this might su- surprise you. The scribe gets lumped in here. The scribe is, is the teacher of the law. Uh, this, this would be someone who's connected to Judaism, connected to the Scriptures. This is someone who knew a lot of Bible. But as a whole, the, scri- the scribes, they failed to connect their vast knowledge of Scripture with the work of the Messiah. Uh, there, there's a warning for us here. Apparently, you can know a whole lot of details about the Bible and totally miss the point and be exposed as foolish before God. The debater of this age could probably refer to uh, either a Jewish or Greek philosopher, but we should know that this is a person who is debater of this age. Uh, in the New Testament, we come to discover that there's, there's an age that is passing away, and there's a, another age that's coming. The, the wisdom of this age is ultimately passing away. It's God's wisdom that will remain forever. And all three of these categories, the wise men, the the scribe, the debater of this age, they all demonstrate that human wisdom has failed to recognize God's wisdom in the word of the cross. The result is that human wisdom is exposed as foolishness. And, And how does God do this? How does he expose this as foolishness? Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Human wisdom was never God's plan to lead us to Him. And how could it be? Uh, Human wisdom is is the thing we used and continue to use to reject and rebel against Him. God doesn't save the smart ones. He doesn't save the knowledgeable ones. He doesn't save the ones who rise to the status of the cultural elite. God saves those who believe through a word that the world finds as foolishness. Think about what this says about God. He's, he's not the kind of God that needs our approval. He's the kind of God who will and can save anyone He wants. You don't have to have a lot of degrees. You don't have to have a high social status. You don't have to uh, put in hours of intensive study. God saves through a through a message of forgiveness of sins through a crucified Savior. And here's what happens. Here's what comes along with being saved by a message the world finds to be foolish. You run into problems. You run into problems if you want to be highly esteemed in the world. There's conflict and tension there. You run into problems if you love human wisdom, if you find joy and life in human wisdom. The world finds the message of the cross 
foolishness. And the world, apart from supernatural grace, doesn't like to be exposed as foolish. So if, you, if it's the world's recognition you're after, you, you will end up rejecting the cross. You will end up declaring a verdict of foolishness when you hear of Jesus. I've been a Christian long enough to watch people walk away from, from Christ. People try to live in, they try to live in both worlds. They try to, they try to mix the two together. You know, maybe if we take some of God's wisdom and some of human wisdom and we put them together, maybe we can find success that way. That, that's a recipe for disaster. See, we have to ask ourselves the question, is, is it the wisdom of the cross that's at the center of my life? Or is there another wisdom that rules my heart, that rules my decisions, that rules my desires? Am I, am I really all in that it's God's wisdom, even in the face of what seems to be wise, that should govern my life? The word of the cross makes foolish the wisdom of the world. So ground your life in the word of the cross. Ground your wisdom in the word of the cross, which leads us to the third reason we should do this. We should ground our lives in the word of the cross because the word of the cross is the power of God. The word of the cross, it's not merely divine wisdom, but it's power for those who are being saved. Look at verse 18 again. Look how Paul contrasts the word of the cross for those who are perishing and those who are being saved. For those who are perishing, the word of the cross is folly. But to those who are being saved, it's you would think you'd think he'd say wisdom here. Right? If you read through Proverbs, those are the two different categories we have, right? You have folly and you have you have wisdom. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does here. Paul, Paul already knows that the Corinthians already, they're already enamored with this idea of wisdom. Hey, he doesn't want to give them the impression that the wisdom of the cross is just one of the competitors in the the arena of of the all the different wisdom they want to come. Here, he wants to recalibrate the Corinthians' view of reality. Uh, there, there is wisdom in the cross. We can talk about the wisdom of God. And, and, God, and Paul actually connects the two in verse 24 below. But here, here he says in verse 18, for those who are being saved, it's power. It's the power of God. The word of the cross, it's not, it's not mere wisdom. Uh, it's in a different category than wisdom. It, it, it comes with power. This is why Paul writes what he does in verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's important to understand, and this was pointed out in Sunday school this morning too. Uh, the, we, we see crosses everywhere. They're, uh, we wear them as jewelry around our necks. There are decorations. Uh, they're on buildings. They're in, they're in cemeteries, but when this was first written in the, in the, the Greco-Roman world, the, the cross was an incredibly offensive symbol. A crucifixion wasn't something you would discuss in polite company. Just imagine inviting your new neighbors over to get to know them and diving right into a discussion about the details of, of execution methods in the Holocaust or something like that. It's just, this is not something that, that people, people do. The word of the cross, it, it didn't seem foolish in the, in the ancient world because it was absurd. It, it seemed foolish also because it was just offensive. <laughs> and it's still offensive today. But it's still power today. Look at verse 24. 
The message of Christ crucified is rejected by Jews and Greeks, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we've already established the, 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 world, the word of the cross is folly to the world. And we've established the world is not going to be reconciled to God through their own wisdom. So how do people come to find themselves as those who are being saved? The answer is through the powerful message of the gospel, the, the message of Scripture centered on Christ crucified. It's, it's powerful because through it, God works salvation to the people who hear. Christ, Christ is, he is, he is power personified. He's wisdom personified. And the declaring of who he is and what he has done is power and wisdom. To who? Look at verse 24. To those who are called. To those who are called. God calls people to himself through the gospel. You don't reason your way to God. You don't obey your way to God. You don't emotionally feel your way to God. Remember, there's only two different kinds of people. You have those who are perishing and those who are being saved. One group find the gospel foolish. The other, the other find it glory and power. They experience it as power. It, it, a person's, it's a person's spiritual nature that, that determines their reaction to the cross. And, and you don't control your spiritual nature. God calls you, and the word of the cross is power and wisdom which works in you that which makes you say the cross isn't foolishness. It's wonderful. It's, it's glory. And the result is, is a salvation that is all of grace, completely of grace, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.9. So what do you do when someone asks, why are you a Christian? Why, why are you among those who are being saved? You, you don't point to yourself. You don't point to your wisdom. You point to God. You point to God who in power, through the gospel, removed the cross as a stumbling block and as this foolishness and made it wonderful. He saved me. The word of the cross demonstrates that God is wiser and stronger than men. Look at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is is stronger than men. Now just take a second here. Is God foolish? Does God have weakness? The, the, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is that, of course not. No. So what's Paul doing here? He's, he's being provocative. It's like he's saying, even if God had foolishness, his foolishness would still far surpass the greatest wisdom of man. Even if God had weakness, he would still surpass the greatest strength of man. There's huge implications here for, for life and for, for ministry. We're talking about the, the, the life that's grounded in the word of the cross, which, which means that our message is grounded in the word of the cross. Why does this need to be said? Why, why does this still need to be talked about and, and proclaimed almost 2,000 years later? It's because almost 2,000 years later, Christians and churches are still undermining the power of the word of the cross and they're still overemphasizing or overestimating the wisdom of the world. How are we going to get people to accept Jesus? How, how, what can we do so that people will come to Christ? I know if we just get the programming right, if we 
we just get the right programs for the right people at the right times with the right people working in them, then we're going to have success in Christianity. Or how about this? I know we, it's music. We just need the new music. Or maybe it's not the new music. We just need the old music. That's when it was really working before. I, I know we, we need to stop teaching on hell. People are uncomfortable with hell. We need to stop teaching on biblical sexual morality. I, I know we need to stop teaching on just fill in the blank part of the Bible. Then people will, will be more open to receiving Jesus. They'll be more interested. I know, let's, let's try to emulate the people in, uh, in the culture that the world really respects. If we try to emulate them, then, then God will listen to us. They'll respect us. I know, let, let's, make, let's make Christian versions of all the things that the world loves. And then they'll associate us with what they love, and then they'll, then they'll love Jesus. I know, let's attract people with whatever worldly thing they like, and then let's just add Jesus to it. You see the problem with, with so much thinking in the Christian world, in the evangelical world? Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The power is not in our wisdom and in our innovative and creative ways of repackaging Christianity so that it just looks so nice to the world. The power is in the word of the cross. Does this mean we should be arrogant and condescending and mean as we spread this message? Does this mean we should try to measure our success and by how much rejection we can get from other people? Does this mean we shouldn't try to be persuasive and and winsome and compelling as we explain the message of Christ crucified? Well, no, of course not. But what's, what's the difference? What's the difference between those two things? The difference is that as we try to be winsome, we, we explain and proclaim who Christ is with our, all of our confidence in His power. Our confidence is not in our wisdom. Our confidence is in God's power to say. This is this has huge implications for us both corporately and personally. Corporately, this is who we are at Sovereign Grace Church. This is who we are. Our goal at Sovereign Grace is not to be innovative and creative and on the edge of the latest trends in ministry as you can clearly see if you've been coming here for a little while. I I remember hearing a, a pastor say one time uh, the most important thing about our church is not what's unique about our church. The most important things about our church are not what make us unique. The most important things about our church are what connect us to every other faithful church at all other times and in all places. Our, our hope is not in what we can do or what we can achieve. Our, our hope cannot be in a new building. What's, what's a building? What is, what is a building? A building is a big tool to support the preaching of the Word of God. That's what a building, that's what a building is. Sovereign Grace Church exists because of the Word of the Cross. Sovereign, it's, it's, this is made up of people who have been changed through the power of the word of the cross, and we now exist to go and proclaim the word of the cross. That's what we are. That's who we are. We're people who've been collected by the word of the cross, who now go out and proclaim the word of the cross. 
We, we exist to collect all those in Aberdeen and in the surrounding area who, who respond to the word of the cross, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. That, that's what a church is. That's who sovereign grace is. This implications for us personally as well. This is who we are individually. Who are, who are you? you? You can define yourself in all sorts of different ways. You can, you can define yourself by your job, or you can define yourself by your talents. You can define yourself by your, uh, by your marital status, by your, your role as a parent, or by a grandparent. You can, you, can, uh, you can define yourself by your hobbies. You can also define yourself by your sin, by your failures, and by your disappointment. All these things, though, are, these are things that are connected to this age. They're connected to things that are, that are passing away. According to this text, who are you? Who are you? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called by God. And you are one who is being saved by God. And, and what does this mean? What, what, does, what, do, what does someone like this do? If they follow Jesus in proclaiming the word of the cross to to people who are going to find it foolish, to a whole world that's going to find it foolish, except for those for who it's power, for who it changes. Is it our job to figure out who that's going to be? Is it our job to figure out who? It, no, we, we proclaim it to everybody. We invite everybody, come to Christ. Repent of your sins. Find all of your hope and joy in Him. What if I'm not very confident? What if, I'm, what if I'm not a very social person? What if I'm not very compelling? Good news. Good news for you. You're, you're a perfect candidate. Because just a couple verses later, Paul is going to write, God wants people's faith to rest in the power of God, not in the wisdom of man. So if you're not very good at this, you don't feel very confident in this, <laughs> rest assured the power it's, it's not going to come from you. It doesn't rest in you. If we ought to ground our lives. First Corinthians once is, is, is telling us, ground our lives in the word of the cross. Because the word of the cross is, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because the word of the cross makes foolish the wisdom of the world. Because, because the word of the cross is the power of God. I used to, I used to want to be a drummer in a rock band. I, st I still do kind of want to be a drummer in a rock band. But I don't any longer think that music is the key to reaching the world and reviving the church. Music is really powerful, but, but it is not nearly powerful enough to do what needs to be done in a human heart to make it respond, to not, to not have that heart find the word of the cross to be Foolishness. What, what the world needs, what the church needs, is what we have always needed. Foolishness, wisdom, and power, all found in the word of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for the wisdom of the cross. We thank you for the power of the cross. 
This power, it has, this power has awakened us and turned our understanding of you from being foolishness to being glory and, and wonder. Father, help us recognize when we are tempted to ground our hope in the wisdom of this world. Help us recognize when we're tempted to use your word to support what's actually only worldly wisdom. Help us ground our lives and our wisdom and our message to the world in Christ crucified. Let this be the heartbeat of our entire lives. Help us recognize that that we need to be faithful in spreading this message. But as we are, you are faithful to provide the power in the message. Because you will, all the glory will be to you. Should nothing of our efforts or our wisdom or our legacies last, there will be nothing that's lost. We're we're a mist that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But you're forever. We we don't desire the glory. We, We would have all the glory be to you in Christ. Father, receive our Praise. Receive our request, our request for help. We pray, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. And we look forward to the day when all human wisdom passes away and you come to dwell with us, we as your people and, and you as our powerful God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.